Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Bo's by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. You know what it is! It's Taco Tuesday! And welcome to your Taco Tuesday here. On WABC Talk Radio 77, if you'd like to be part of today's program, all you have to do, pick up your telephone, join us, please. 800-848-WABC is the number. 800-848-9222. So much to discuss. Of course, today is Tuesday. Not only is it Taco Tuesday, it is the day that Mark Stein joins us. I'm so looking forward to hearing from Mr. Stein. Yeah, baby. And, uh, of course, there are the New York stories that cannot wait, beginning with one of the Green Goblins turned herself in. This is one of the uh, one of the per- alleged perpetrators of a heinous crime that occurred on New York subways on October 2nd. A group of girls calling themselves the Green Goblin Gang, dressed up in neon green leotard, in tight suits with the fat hanging out, no, um, suits, while robbing and, you know, creating mayhem. They were identified, some of them, as being residents of the Queensboro um, a project over there near Long Island City, and one of them turned herself in, Miriam Isol, 26 years old. What happened? Charged with second-degree robbery on the court on video assault. What happened? One day after she turned herself in, what happens? She's out. Of course she's out. How much was her bail, you ask? Oh, I'm so happy you did. Yes, of course you would ask how much is her bail. Zero. She paid no bail. This is progressive New York. Criminals, don't you know? Or alleged criminals, let us be fair. Nothing's proven yet. But alleged criminals can walk in and walk right out so that they can allegedly commit more crimes on allegedly more victims. Now, this time, instead of being whatever, she uh, was hiding her lawyer. She did nothing wrong. How many times have we, my client has no record. My client attacked no one. She assaulted not one of the victims. And is seen on videotape saying, I want no part of this, let's go. I want no part of this, let's go. Well, we shall see whether that's true. I don't know who all was there. And if his client says, okay, um... I want no part of this, and she was one of those not involved. I guess that's what a jury is there to decide. The angry mother of one of the victims called the gang complete animals last week, and she also took these men apart, all these men there taking videos and watching. None of them helped while a group of 10 women were beating two young girls. She accused Governor... Kathy Hochul, 
and state politicians of making these ridiculous laws, letting savages, savages, savages walk the streets with nothing but a slap on on the wrist. There's still fallout in Los Angeles and still occurring. The L.A. Times, in fact, editorial is calling for more resignations with uh, the uh, Nuri Martinez. She says now she's going to take a leave of absence. She was the one caught on tape with three of her other liberal cohorts. Racist, racist, racist all the way. The Wahikans were part of their, um, the Wahikans. Wahikans, I'm sorry, Wahikans. I'm getting used to it, you know. I Look, I'm sorry, I grew up in public schools. I see words that are spelled like O-A-X-A-C-A-N, and I don't know that that's a wah, wah. Don't get nervous. I'm trying not to. Wahakins. And I apologize. I'm not trying to be insulting or anything if anyone thinks I am. I'm not. I'm just trying to get used to the pronunciation of it. Wahakins. And then she joked about the, the little Wahakin uh, Koreans. Attacked a three-year-old black child who belonged, who is the father is a member of the LGBTQ community. And it's white. Attacked the Oaxacans, one of the indigenous groups of Mexico, from Oaxaca. Made horrid statements. And I'm telling you, there's nothing new here, folks. The Democrats are the party of racism. I've been saying this for a long time. You should see the way that they treat black people. Oh, you do. (laughs) Yeah, remember. Remember which party in America gave us the Ku Klux Klan? That would be the Democrat Party. Remember the party that stood in the schoolhouse doors and said, segregation now, segregation forever. That would be the Democrat Party. Remember the party of gone with the wind? That would be the Democrat Party. Remember the president who bought, brought that horribly vile movie, Birth of a Nation Inside the White House? That would Woodrow Wilson, Democrat president. Remember Joe Biden's infamous words about he didn't want his children going to those jungle schools. And Obama. Remember, remember before Vice President Biden, there was Senator Biden who talked about, well, you know, Obama's one of those clean, articulate ones. Of course, that was before he made his crack about you have to be an Indian to own a 7-Eleven. Now the black kids like to play with his blonde little hairs on his leg. Freaky stuff there. That would be Joe Biden. Democrats have always been the party of racism in America. And this episode in California, as ugly as it is, is just more proof of who the Democrat Party really is. I'm glad to see people are calling already. And one of the calls that we have is from an educator that we will get to. Because I asked yesterday if educators can call and tell us exactly what is wrong from their point of view with the school system, not just in the United States, in New York, in America. As I said, Mark Stein is coming up in mere moments. Have a few things to discuss with Mark. Can't wait. But I love the fact that in liberal Los Angeles, the town is completely roiled with this scandal. Overt racism, not just against... She was. This woman was against anybody black. Mexicans, they're they're black and ugly. They're ugly. They're short and ugly. 
because they're darker than, than she is. This little small-minded woman rose to the height of power in Los Angeles. But this is the Democrat Party. This was conversation, had it not been leaked, would have been just business as usual in L.A., Nobody the wiser as to what really happens behind closed doors. I wonder if you had a tape recorder in many Democrat meetings across the country, what we would be able to hear. I am not excusing Republicans. That Tommy Tuberville thing is still weighing heavy on my mind, this idiot out of Alabama, this idiot senator. They're not soft on crown crime. They're pro-crime. They want crime. They want crime because they want to take over what you got. They want to control what you have. They want reparations because they think the people that do the crime are owed that bull s. They're not owed that. That's old Tuberville, Thomas Tuberville. This guy was a coach. This little racist. Oh, I shouldn't call him a racist, should I? I don't really know him. I can only judge by his racist remarks. You know, Republicans got their, have their problems, too. But there is an article today in one of the major publications about how this could be the biggest year for, quote-unquote, diversity in Republican history. Something like 67 candidates are running from all over the spectrum of ethnicity. So this could be an interesting breakthrough year. Of course, please don't tell Tommy Tuberville that. He'll probably think they're running so that they can vote for reparations. Idiot. Yeah, we have our idiots on our side, too. There are idiots. And he's one of the biggest ones come across in a while. And you know what? He hasn't apologized, and I'm glad he hasn't apologized. I hope he never apologizes, because he needs to stand by his stupidity. He doesn't need to give us some fake apology like he's really sorry. No, this is what's apparently in this guy's heart and mind. And so he needs to own it, continue to own it, not apologize for it. It's just like wear a placard on your chest. I'm a racist idiot. Don't apologize for it. I mean, I don't know how it is to work for an idiot like this. I've never had to. But I feel sorry for the members of his staff. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let us take a break. We have lots to cover. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Sternley. Yes, we are going to take your calls. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge that today... Uh, was the funeral service for our very own Bernard McGurk. And so much has been said about Bernard. If you'd like to, also leave your condolences, good wishes, or any remembrances of Bernie McGurk, our very own Bernie McGurk, you can do so here today as well. WABC Talk Radio 77 coming right back after this. Back on the Bernie and Sid show. I don't want to Heard everywhere on the 77 WABC app. 
James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. He's always mistakenly British. Teen crumpets. Cheerio. But he's really a Canuck. Known on all seven continents. Oh, I know who you are. America's undocumented anchorman. He's a recording star and a TV star. Tuesdays, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, presents Mark Stein. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mark, I know where you're going to be on May 6th, by the way. Where am I going to be? <laughs> you're going to be over at home. You're going home. <laughs> the coronation of King Charlie III. No, be... no, no, I'm not. He's like talking about having a downsized coronation. And uh, and I, I just said on television, I'm strongly opposed to that. And I quoted a great American saying, go big or go home. And that's, and uh, I know most Americans, when they deploy that great piece of the American vernacular, do would not think it applied to coronations, but in this case, it does. Go big or go home. That's my advice. So to you're not going to go see King Charlie getting like uh, the big deal over there? <laughs> you never see uh, quite get the big deal because they put a canopy over you, and then you're anointed with these oils. Because this is very different from your own constitution because the king rules by divine right and that right is symbolized by the archbishop uh, putting these uh, oils uh, all over his body uh, but they do that under a canopy so you can't see it because it's a little then it'd be just like a uh, yeah it is a little freaky but if you actually showed it it'd be like the live cam at some massage parlor. So uh, you wouldn't want to see it. Uh, not everything has to be seen, James. Disabuse yourself of that. <laughs> Talking about disabuse, it sounds like that's what's going on underneath that canopy, my friend. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of disabusing. Yeah. No, it, no it, I'm, I'm old school when it comes to coronations. I just like it the way it's been for 900 years. So I don't want any of this, uh, you know, downsizing. I was certain that you would be there. In fact, I was going to suggest to you that this would be a prime time to, like, try to get some, like, Americans over there. Like, you should lead a delegation from America. I would <laughs> gladly be part of the American, the Mark Stein American delegation going over to see uh, King Charlie. Look, I know how you're feeling. You know, you can't believe that after two and a half centuries of constitutional <laughs> republicanism, it's come down to some brain-dead boob dancing on the nuclear precipice about looming Armageddon. Uh, so I can well see why you'd, you'd want to say, look, the whole thing hasn't worked out. We'd like to come home and be part of the family again. I can well see that. I can well see that. But you're, you, you guys are stuck with Joe Biden. You'll just have to... And he's, he's uh, you know, second term. And maybe the constitutional amendment to permit him uh, to preside over you for as long as FDR did. He seems in great shape to me. He seems in great, terrific oh, shape. Oh, sure. He's, yeah. a ter he's in terrific shape for a man who is 30 years older than he's supposed to be. No. Oh, Yaley, the Yaleys. Uh, I, you know, Mark, generally, I don't like boycotts, to be honest with you, unless, uh, unless they're for a very, very, very good cause. Because too often boycotts have been used by the left to try to disrupt conservative 
uh, conservative free speech. But I have to tell you, I'm kind of digging this boycott that's going on up at Yaley. Well, about Yaley. Conservative judges, it started with Ho. Right. It started with, with Circuit Cut Court Judge Ho. Uh, said, you know what, I'm not hiring any of these Yaleys because these guys love disrupting conservative speeches They at Yale. And so, no, I'm not going to hire any Yaleys. And now another judge, Elizabeth Branch from Hotlanta, the 11th Circuit down there has said, I'm with Ho. I'm mm. not going to hire any of these Yale students. Uh, what do you think about this? Do you think this can grow into a movement? Well, I don't, I don't, I'm, I sort of agree with you on what you're saying about boycott. I don't think this is like boycotting some uh, chain store because of something the chairman said. This is actually that these guys can't be law clerks because they don't understand the first principles of law. Now, law clerks are very important at the high level in the American judiciary. They write a lot of the decisions. They certainly are responsible for a lot of the language in the decisions. So if you've got law clerks who don't understand something as essential, as basic a core liberty as freedom of expression, which is why these judges want... uh, nothing to do with them, then that those kind of those guys are not capable of doing a law clerk's job, never mind actually then becoming a lawyer or a judge themselves down the road. And I think that's so it's it's bigger than just, you know, boycotting Target or Walmart or whatever. What it is is we've reached the stage of wokery where great institutions like Yale are basically now running on fumes. Uh, because the people who've been running Yale for the last decade and a half, most of this century, uh, have actually got nothing going for them except the reputation that was built up before the present generation of chumps who are destroying these institutions got there. And and what it means is that you're paying a fortune for these fancy-pants ed- education, and you're actually coming out more stupid than when you went in, because you don't understand first principles. And, it, and I mean, you might say, oh, I, I lead a fairly uh, discreet life, so I'm not bothered if all the judges are idiots who were ruined by going to Yale Law School. But it applies to other things, too. I mean, I think we're getting to the stage where they're now saying, oh, we're, we're all so woke, we're doing woke math, we're doing woke science. Well, can woke science fly a plane, or will you be up there, uh, you know, jetting over to Heathrow for the coronation and the thing just actually falls out of the sky because they've got some woke pilot? I mean, that's the, that's the issue these judges are, head, uh, are highlighting here. Well, speaking of woke, Mark, let's take a minute and listen to uh, Tulsi Gabbard. She had this to say uh, earlier. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness, who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, I believe in a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. 
Instead, it stands for a government that is of, by, and for the powerful elite. That was Tulsi Gabbard on the way saying, hey, I'm done with these people. Now, curiously to me, she didn't say, okay, I'm joining the Republicans. She urged people, hey, if you think like I do, come with me. I don't know where she's going, though. She could be going toward another party, could be maybe not the Republicans. Who knows? But what do you think about Tulsi finally taking the leap and just saying, I've had enough with these clowns? Well, she's got to have been the loneliest gal in the Democrat Party for, you know, the best part of what is it now, seven, eight years. I can't imagine that when uh, she goes to the Democrats' Christmas get-together that she exactly has a full dance card (laughs) when it comes to Chuck Schumer or whoever wanting to whirl her around the floor. Um, So I can understand why she figured the jig was up. You asked why she hasn't just joined the Republican Party. Her big thing is these pointless, unwon wars, these permanent wars that make a lot of people like defense lobbyists, like the idiot uh, defense secretary uh, at present, the guy who lands at an airfield in the middle of nowhere and comes down the airplane steps wearing a COVID mask and a COVID visor. Uh, that's how... Uh, <laughs> I mean, he looks like ridiculous. Uh, but that that guy is a big... He's got nothing going for him except he's a big shot lobbyist, so he knows how to make money out of war. And that's the one thing that Tulsi Gabbard has always gone on about, these awful, awful, awful... Wars that go on 10, 20 years uh, and 15 minutes after the last U.S. plane takes off from these hell holes, it's as if they were never there. She's quite right. She's quite right to say she's leaving the Democrats. uh, And she's also quite right to be wary of then joining the Republicans, because to her mind, this is how she thinks of it. To her mind, the Republican Party has got too many people like uh, Lindsey Graham, who uh, when when Tulsi talks about government of, by and for the people, uh, Lindsey Graham defines that to mean he's going off uh, and meeting with some guy uh, in in Ukraine and getting a medal from some some politician in Ukraine, and he wants to put American boots on the ground in Ukraine. I I think the whole I'm I'm with her on that. I think the whole American way of war needs rethinking, and I'm in favour of downsizing the Pentagon and moving the chiefs of staff to a strip mall on the edge of Cleveland, which will give them time to focus on what they've got wrong this century so far. My goodness, Mark. Let me just ask you one last thought. Time's running out. What do you think about this nice little scandal out there in L.A. with all of these little racist Democrats coming out of the woodwork, slithering out? Well, I think, I I mean, again, that's I think that's Tulsi, too. Basically, you know, racism is on the left now. You know, the, the Democrats actually have more categories of people. Uh, than uh, South African apartheid did. And by the way, South African pe- people, no, you laugh, but South African, you know, South African apartheid, that was the National Party starting in 1948. Uh, and when they were elected in South Africa in 1948, they modeled apartheid on the old school Democrat Party. The Democrat Party, I can't even believe this. You know, when Nelson Mandela was released from jail and they had the big reconciliation and they got the new South Africa, the National Party basically changed its name and went out of business. 
basically the Democrats have been were racist throughout the 19th century, racist up until the civil rights era, and are now merely racist in an uh, in a completely different way. So we've had it with the you know the slavery, Jim Crow, all the guys dressing up as the Klansmen and then dressing up as uh, in blackface, like the governor of, of Virginia, uh, and that and and so why would you be surprised? That's like two centuries in their DNA of total racism. And that's how a lot of them still think. I love it, Mark. Oh, guess who I talked to today, Mark? Oh. I, I spoke with, uh, I had a great interview with Smokey Robinson today. Oh, <laughs> you, are, you are so, I was just thinking in a similar turf, I was actually remembering an old show I did with The Temptations years ago. And, you did a uh, show with The Temptations? Yeah, yeah. They, I got to uh, ask you, bro, did you dance? No, no, no. Did you, did you, did you do the temptation walk with them? <laughs> no, I left, I left that to, uh, I left that to them. They, uh, they, uh, they, they were, they were great fun though. They, they, uh, they, they sang the impossible dream as their closing number. It was actually a very interesting, uh, show. Uh, I, by the way, just quickly, James, before I go, I want to second what you said about the great McGurk. He was one of those naturals. And I can't believe he just he just I loved his persona. He made me laugh. I can't believe uh, I I won't get to listen to him again. Thank you, Mark. You can find Mark on GBTV. Boy, oh, boy. I want to go over there. Come on, Mark. I'm going to beg. And you don't make me beg. I want to go to the coronation. Okay. I'm going, American... I, I'll, I'll get you to the coronation. I'm going to make you, I'm going to get you uh, made the job of Governor General of Papua New Guinea, and we'll get you in, we'll get, you'll be in, you'll get a better seat than Joe Biden. As you know, he's, 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 uh, he's always put back in coach, but you'll be up there in row four, right behind the Duchess of Gloucester. It's guaranteed you can take that to the bank. Mark, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Our very own Mark Stein. Mark, always a pleasure, my man. I'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, James. <laughs> right back, ladies and gentlemen. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snerdly. Rush. Now here's Bo Snerdly. Oh, that's Bruce. Kevin, why are we playing Bruce? We are playing Bruce because on this day in history, in 1975, Mr. Springsteen earned his top, first Top 40 hit ever with this song, Born to Run, which was the title track from his third album. It would eventually peak at number 23 on the Hot 100, but this was the beginning to Bruce Springsteen's stardom. Wow, the boss. Well, you know... 
somebody else that's been hanging out a while. Motown, my man, Smokey Robinson. With Smokey. Now, Smokey Robinson's going to be in New York this weekend. Let me just play a little excerpt from our talk, and we'll play more of it later in the week. You were still touring at that time. You were still recording at that time. And you were also an executive with one of the most influential record labels in the history of the recording arts and sciences. What were you doing for Motown during that stage of your career? You know, James, um... Uh, from the very first day of Motown, there was five people there. There was Barry himself. He was starting the company. His then-wife, Ray Noma, a lady named Janie Bradford, who turned out to be one of our writers and one of our top people at Motown, and Brian Holland of Holland Doja Hall of Fame, and me. And he sat us down and he said, we are not just going to make black music. We're going to make music for the world. We're going to make music with some great beats and some great stories. And we're always going to quality control our music to make sure that it has those ingredients. So that's what we set out to do. Starting on that day, man, which is the first day of Motown, we did everything. The first Motown record ever was a song called Come To Me by a guy named Marv Johnson. And we were just local at the time. We were only in Detroit and Flint and Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Barry and I drove up to a, there's a place called Owasso, Michigan. And it was in the dead of winter. And we drove up there and got the records. We took them to the radio stations. We took them and we, we, we distributed them out wherever they were going to be distributed. So that's how I started. I started out doing everything. We started, everybody there was doing everything pertaining to starting a record company. So that's how I started out. In 1963, I just come in off the road. You talked about that. I just come in off the road with the miracles. I was wiped out. And so 6.30 in the morning, Barry calls me. He said, we have a 9 o'clock meeting, and I want you to be there. I said, Barry, I just got home. He said, I don't care. Come to the meeting. <laughs> After, at the end of that meeting with all the executives up there, he announced that I was vice president, okay? But my job didn't change, really, from what I had been doing all along because I was doing, you know, we were intricately doing all the intimate things that make a record company happen. All I had now was a title. But, he, <laughs> but then... He said, I want you to induct new talent through your office, too. So that's what I did. I inducted new talent through my office. I brought a lot of people over there. I brought Who'd Diana Ross Supremes. I brought, uh, you know, Gladys Knight, the Isley Brothers, Chuck Jackson. You know, I brought a lot of people to Motown, man. So, 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 so that was my office function, new talent. And then we moved out to Los Angeles. He changed my thing there. He said, hey, man, he said, I trust you more than anybody, so I'm going to make your office the financial office. Uh-huh. So I had to start signing all the checks. All the checks came into my office with the exception of for the record sales that went to the sales department. But I was signing checks all day long. So my, my, my office function changed once I moved to Los Angeles. But I was still, you know, recruiting new talent if, 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 if I saw someone that I thought was good. So you're recruiting, you're recruiting talent. You're performing as an executive. And yet you still have to be creative. Because that's who, and go on the road. And that's not an easy task. How did you manage to do all of that? Were you ever at home? Did you ever have downtime? <laughs> you, you know, James, <laughs> yes, I was, man. I was at home. In fact, uh, 
In fact, uh, well, I, I just think that what, what I do, man, see, I think that God gives everybody gifts, and everybody gets a gift. Some people never discover their gifts. Some people discover them or squander them. Some people never pursue them Use or whatever, them. you know. But I think God gives everybody gifts. So the gift that he gave me was to write songs and, and, and to sing and, and do what I do. And I'm very, very, very blessed, like you said earlier. I am very blessed, man, because when you have a job, that you look forward to going to, that you love, that you can't wait to get there, that's a blessing. So, uh, I, I, especially this week, man, we're playing at the Beacon Theater here in, in New York City, and I cannot wait. I haven't played Manhattan proper in about 15 or 20 years. I, I don't even remember when the last time I've been playing all around Manhattan, Long Island, Westbury, all those places, but not Manhattan. So I'm looking so forward to this date coming up now. And I had retired at one time, James. When I left the Miracles, I retired and moved out to Los Angeles started doing my office function. And I was retired for about three and a half years before I started climbing the walls. So uh, <laughs> I can't find anything that replaces this for me. Yeah, Smokey Robinson. Again, he'll be playing at the Beacon this week and uh, <clears throat> in Manhattan. So if you want to go, check out Smokey Robinson. The show's coming up this coming Saturday. We have the full interview with Smokey coming up a little bit later in our week, and I hope you're here for it on Bo Snerly's Rush Hour. We may even play it again on Saturday, too. So we'll be back with your calls and some more news right after this. I uh, was sort of raised uh, in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. And so we, and we came here for a long time. Uh, both for business and pleasures. Taco Tuesday! James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush, Rush, Rush. Oh! Delphonics bring us back. Their first big hit. Many guys have come to you with a line first concert I ever went to was a Delphonics concert. When this song was out. Uh, I just asked Matt Meany, our incredible, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, our incredible program director here at WABC to please give his give us his thoughts today folks was uh, was the funeral for bernie and, and matt say a few words absolutely first off thank you for the kind words from you mr golden um and for giving me the time uh here to talk about bernard uh it was uh you know unbelievable life lived uh the guy one of the hardest working people uh, i've come across in this industry and uh, one of the most genuine and humil you know just humble people um you know i've ever come across and you know chad lopez our president wrote in the new york post article that the other day that he was really the the backbone of this radio station and working with him over the years with on imus and then in the morning with bernie and Sid in the morning uh there could be nothing more true than him being 
a backbone for the day. He laid the foundation for everybody else. And uh, what he did was a lot of preparation. And uh, that's something that I don't, you know, I will never forget. And that's with me, you know, going to be with me forever is that, you know, bring as much ammunition to the table as you can because you never know when you're going to need it. But uh, above that, and, you know, um, outside of work, like I said, unbelievable family man. He leaves behind a wife and uh, two He's got a son and uh, a daughter and a, a daughter-in-law who's now pregnant, and uh, uh, there will be more McGurks on the way. Uh, so that's exciting. But um, just overall, I have too many words to uh, to to uh, say about Bernard that uh, there's just not enough time. And I appreciate you uh, asking me to come on and say something. Matt, thank you from from all of us and folks. We all at this station are in deep mourning over Bernie's passing. And especially for those who worked with him, I didn't have a chance to work with on the show, obviously, with Bernie. But I'm going to tell you something. You can tell a measure of a person in this industry by the words you do hear from the people that have worked with him. Matt is one of those people. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Bernie, just say it, something special. And there'll never be another Bernie McGurkin. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, everybody. Let's head to the telephones here. Time is running out. I know that I asked educators to call us in. Let us start with Paul in Dutchess County. Rachel, you get there. I want to be with you next. Paul, you're up first. What's on your mind this afternoon? Uh, afternoon, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I worked for that accursed system for 33 years in a variety of different roles in a number of different schools. I'll be brief and to the point. I compiled a list of 11 topics, each of which is warrants its own discussion, but I'll give you the overview. Feel free to stop me at any time. Here they are. First and foremost, it's a bloated bureaucracy. Two, there's excessive waste of financial and personnel resources. Three, every three to five years, there's another educational fad that's rolled out depending on the politics of the day. Four, at the higher levels, the system is abounds with cronyism. Five, bad behavior gets rewarded. Six, mm. there's poor leadership. Seven, administrators micromanage. They claim to be results-oriented, but they weren't interested in methodology. Eight, teacher input is given little priority. Nine, no discipline, no student accountability. Ten, subjective grading. And last but not least, lack of parental involvement. Wow. Paul, you said you would be succinct. Here's what I would like you to do, and I thank you. I would like you to leave your number with our staff here. I would like them to get a hold of you and book you as a guest on one of our Saturday programs. I want to go through all 11 and hear all of your comments on all of them from the inside of the education. So please leave your number. I'm going to invite you as a guest. Let's talk education. In fact, you know what? Instead of doing it on the show, let's do an education podcast where we can just talk without commercial interruption about education. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Rachel in Westchester County. WABC Talk Radio 77, you're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. It's Rush Hour. How are you, Rachel? Thank you so much, Mr. Uh, Mr. Bo Snurley. I'm a little tad nervous, but I just wanted to say a positive thing. Uh, first, condolences to your staff, to everyone that loved Bernie. Uh, my heart goes out to everyone, you know, going through this. Um, I'm a teacher. Uh, it's my 25th year in the Department of Education. I currently have been um, Queens for 13 years, and I want to say that uh, Paul is right about all of those points. But on the flip side, um, with a good leader, principal, good administration, 
Um, we have things in place. Teachers are working very hard. Um, so many people are, you know, they're professionals. They're in the schools. They're trying to do what we do the best we can, uh, educating the students, you know. Well, great. I, I am so happy to hear from you. I'm going to say something to you, though. You know, Rachel, year after year, one of the things I complain about is why in New York, with all the billions of dollars that we spend, why do we still have over 200 failing schools, and how do we find it acceptable that year after year there are failing schools in New York and we can never seem to change it? I'm not looking for you for the answer for that, but I'm telling you that's the question that I have. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let's go to Charles in Fort Lee, New Jersey. How are you, Charles? Yes, very good. Thank you for taking my call. I have, I'd like you to comment on my assertion regarding Herschel Walker. The news media seems to be obsessed with the vegan, being enthralled by the Democrats with this question of abortion, in which I believe there is legitimate discussion on either side. However, the news media has totally missed the point with Herschel Walker. He's the father of four children born out of wedlock with four different women. That's the issue I see with Herschel Walker. I'd like you to comment on that. The issue I see with Herschel Walker is it's Herschel Walker or Ralph Warner. Today there's a, 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 a story we didn't get a chance to that while, and look, I I don't want to do one of these full-throated attacks on Ralph uh, Warner. There's, notice I'm changing the premise a little bit, by the way. Um, but there's a story about Ralph Warner today that while the Ebenezer Baptist Church of all churches is throwing people out of the apartments that they own and throwing people onto the street that he's living off their dime. Of course, he's a salaried employee. He works for them as their pastor. Now, to me, Herschel Walker has his flaws. There was an article that I did not have a chance to get to today because we have a full schedule. I asked Diana, Princess Di, to, to weigh in on it, so I'm going to call her tomorrow and see if she wants to talk about it. Saved by grace, evangelicals find a way forward with Herschel Walker. Here's the problem I have. Okay, I understand what you're saying about Herschel Walker. Okay, got it. I got that. But Herschel Walker or Ralph Warnock, who's going to do the best for America at the particular junction of the road that we're at? It's the same thing I have with this Doug Jones in Alabama or this idiot Tuberville. I know that Tuberville, idiot, racist-sounding idiot, will give us some of the votes that we need to get accomplished what is best for America. So do we hold our nose and vote for him? Often in politics, it's about holding your nose. And the people that are running are not perfect people. Now, I don't know. I haven't gone on the ins and outs of Herschel Walker. Uh, I knew from the beginning he was a flawed candidate. But it, but flawed compared to what? Compared to Ralph Warnock, who's going to support the Democrat agenda? Well, in that case, give me Herschel Walker any day of the week. So that's my answer to it. I'm not going to try to hide behind flaws. Look, if I were going to run for office, goodness knows what flaws would come out. You know, but that's just the way politics go. Let us go to quickly to Peter in New Jersey. Peter, welcome. How are you? Hello, Bo. I don't really know how to say this without sounding kind of like uh, a bigot of some sort, but uh, the question here is, are black politicians doing the bidding for the left as far as, you know, you mentioned earlier in your show? Yes, yes, yes. Black liberal politicians are doing the bidding of the elite 
left in this country. There's no doubt about it. And are they disserving the interest of their own communities? Yes. There's no question. There's nothing bigoted about that statement. It is an assessment of ideology, not an assessment of skin color. These politicians that go leftist are doing harm to the communities they claim to serve. And there's no two ways about that for me. And they are getting exposed, by the way, on a daily basis. So I applaud your question. Catch at night up next, John Katsimatidis here on WABC. Keep that WABC app with you at all times. Smokey Robinson, you'll hear the rest of the interview later in the week. And thank you, Smokey. Wonderful talking with you. And as you know, my friends, God bless, protect each, every one of you and your families. And we'll talk later in the week. Tomorrow, I hope, at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye.